Welcome to Sierra Bible Church. Uh, my name is Jesse. If I haven't met you, and just glad you're here, glad you're worshiping uh, with us. We're going to be in James chapter 4 this morning. So uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there before we handle a, a few things. And then if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand, and uh, one of the ushers will gladly put a Bible in your hand that you can follow along with us. I, uh, <clears throat> I have to uh, kind of up front apologize for uh, the the kind of energy that may come forth this morning. I I uh, have a little bit of a head cold and took some DayQuil and, uh, and drank coffee, so I'm like ramped. <clears throat> and, then, and then last night, all four of my children jumped in bed to sleep with us, so I didn't sleep really well. So and I probably shouldn't be standing up here, and, and I, I am going to claim no responsibility for anything that comes out of my mouth that shouldn't. So well, what's, oh, I can't, oh, too many words at me at once. Um, so... Uh, here, here's a couple. We're going to handle some things, uh, business here real quick. Number one, um, Christmas Eve services are five and seven. Please invite people, have them come. It's going to be an amazing time. We start our Advent series uh, next week, so we're going to take a break from James uh, for a month, and we're going to be diving into just Christmas and what it means, so uh, be ready for that. The church will start uh, reflecting that. We'll decorate and things like that uh, coming up this week. Um, and then uh, fire updates, how we're helping with the fires. Uh, our church alone has raised over $20,000, so congratulations to you. Give yourselves a hand for that. Um, someone said to me, oh, man, I was only able to put like 50 bucks in, and, and I said, man, it doesn't matter. As long as everyone's given something and we're helping, that's what matters. And so I actually did the math on that statement that if everyone gave $40 in a church our size, we would have reached the 20000 mark. So I know some gave more, some gave less, but we're just thankful to be a part of that. We are assisting uh, two major churches. One is uh, a church that was in Paradise, Paradise Alliance. Um, they're one of the only buildings still standing in Paradise. And they're, uh, they're working with another sister church of ours in Chico neighborhood for some relief and things like that. And uh, Bayside, which is a church in the Roseville area, they, they just recently gave well over 100000 I think it's between $120,000 and $140,000 directly to Paradise Alliance Church. And, and the wording that they used uh, when they did so, which I thought uh, reflects really well our heart, is, hey, when, when it comes to rebuilding a town, what Bayside said is we want to partner with a local church so that when we're rebuilding the town, we're doing it in the name of Jesus as opposed to some other secular venue. So um, all of that's going to be going to a place like Paradise Alliance or Chico neighborhood so that in Jesus' name we can do whatever we can to help those people but in hopes maybe to rebuild uh, the community there. So thank you for that. Uh, and then... I want to introduce to you Russ Grant. This is Russ. Uh, if you'd stand so everyone can see you. His wife isn't in the service, so he doesn't look nearly as good as he did in the first service. Um, Russ, Russ has been part of our church for several years. He has been interning as an elder in our church uh, for the last year or so. And, and um, we feel it's time uh, to officially make him uh, an elder of our church. Uh, our elders are kind of like they're pastors. They help shepherd and guide and teach and pray for and love our church in addition to uh, being a level of accountability for me uh, so so that way I'm getting rebuked for things I shouldn't be saying from the pulpit like uh, I will this morning uh, and they're, they're just they help guide and direct really the the church as a whole they're, they're a tremendous asset uh, to me and to the church as a whole and and what we do before we bring on an elder is we stand before you like we're doing right now we're saying hey listen we want to do this, but for those of you who know Russ and your relationship with Russ or you've heard something about Russ and 
and he's got some kind of sin in his life, some kind of character flaw, uh, we want to encourage you to go talk to Russ one-on-one, uh, the Matthew 18 principle. If you can handle it there, great. If not, we'll get the elders involved. So um, we're not uh, ordaining him yet. We're, we're just putting him before you. So if you have any issues with him, uh, you can see him on the deck afterwards. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Don't do it that way. Invite him to lunch or, or uh, have a private conversation. Um, and... Uh, I'll handle there. So give Russ a hand. Thanks, man. And I get to do a baby dedication this morning. So Ben, uh, Ben and Arian, if you want to come up and bring up uh, Gunther and uh, Arelli, right? Am I saying it right? Arelli? Arelli. Arelli. I practiced a bunch before it's the uh, day quill. So this is Ben and Arian. Ben... Um, he, he helps out a lot at Awana. He's the Awana director. So on Tuesdays, he's one of the main guys teaching your kids, uh, the Bible and, and who Jesus is and all that. And Arian, she, man, she helps out in all kinds of ways that no one ever sees. And, and some of you, uh, have known Arian forever and you still don't call her Arian. You call her Ariel or some other version of that. And I was like, she's not a mermaid. Her name is Arian. And so I want to give you a tip before we do this. If you just take the letter R, the letter E, and the letter N, and pronounce it R E N, that's how I memorized it. You'll never, you'll never call her a mermaid ever again. So, <laughs> it's Arian. Um, and uh, so, how we do baby, baby dedications? We did one last week. Is we, we recognize there's nothing, nothing super miraculous that happens, but they're entering into a covenant with the church here. And so Ben and Arian are stating to you that they desire to raise their children according to the gospel and according to the Bible. Uh, and so, so Ben and, and Arian, do you do you covenant with your church to do just that to raise your kids according to the gospel and the word of God? We do. And, and family, you, you're in on that too, right? So we say we do. And then they they also I'm convincing you of this. You want to do this? Trust me. Um, and then likewise on this end too, they're recognizing that many of you are their church family. That they, they they're in relationship with you. They're in covenant with you. They love you, and they know that they need your help. Uh, to speak into their lives and help guide their children as well. And so church, for those of you that, that call Ben and Arian family, would you covenant with them as well to help them in that? Yeah. Uh, awesome. And, and now I'm going to pray for uh, Gunther and Arely. Arely. See, I, you, my wife taught me a trick this morning, like the Arian one, and I can't do it. <laughs> Arely. So I'm going to take both of them in here. So they waited a little bit on, uh, on Gunther. Hey, you. Oh, man, it's a good thing I've been working out. These are some big kids. Can I? No? Can, oh, I'll just, yeah, hold on to daddy. Oh, okay, you're getting uncomfortable too now. But we better make this fast. It's okay, Jesus loves you. Yeah, so does daddy. All righty. There's nothing special about my arms, so we'll just, it's the prayer that counts. Let's pray. Lord, um, we present these beautiful children to you. Lord, you, you tell us in Scripture that, that you knew them even before time began, and you formed them preciously inside of Arian's womb, Lord. You know every strand of hair. You know the days of their life, the start of it, the, when you will call them home, Lord. And we're asking for their time here that they would glorify you and walk with you and come to know you. We also ask that you would help us as a church to equip these children, Lord, and to equip them as parents, but as parents as well, that they would be committed and teachable to learning and guiding their children in this way. We present these children to you, Lord. As beautiful as they are, you, you find them even more beautiful because they're made in your image. 
and we thank you for him in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. amen. Give him a hand. Thank you, guys. Love you. Thank you. You can put him in the nursery now. <laughs> and all the parents rejoiced. There was a few weeks ago, a mom came up and was trying to convince her children to get to children's church. And uh, they weren't necessarily agreeing with her. And she looked at me with desperation in her eyes and said, I need them to go. <laughs> I can't relate to that because I never have to get the kids ready for church. So, um, James chapter 4, if you're able to this morning, would you honor God's words with me as we stand and read these 10 verses? What causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire, and you do not have, so you murder. You covet, and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have, because you do not ask. You ask, and you don't receive, because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose... It is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Lord, again, we come before you and ask for you to shape us and mold us in your image, to minister to us, to heal us, to love upon us, Lord, and for us to see you for who you are, a God who loves us, who desires relationship with us. And we trust you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So last week, <clears throat> we talked about wisdom uh, wisdom from above and wisdom from below. The kind of wisdom that honors God and then the kind of wisdom that is along the lines of worldly thinking. Now this morning as, as a review, we, we talked about last week that when you become a Christian, you, you inherit three enemies. Those three enemies are the world, the flesh, and the devil. The devil we, we saw last week is that one of those enemies is the lies of the enemy, that the enemy wants to lie to you. He is the father of lies. He wants to shape and mold your mind according to something that just simply isn't true. As we saw in Genesis, when the serpent shows up on the scene, he says to Adam and Eve, did God really say this? Did he really say it? He questions God, and then he lies to them, and then they believe it, and they fall into sin. One of those enemies we receive, indeed, is the devil. The other one is the flesh. The, the motto of the flesh in our day and age, if it feels good, do it. Whatever your senses desire and want, you should do those things. And then we also shared the world, that the world in and of itself becomes an enemy. And we had to define what that means because it doesn't mean the globe. It doesn't mean the world we live in as much as it means a particular anti-God system that we recognize uh, exists within the society that we live in, in every culture and every place. So it's not just an American thing. It's just not just an Asia thing or a Europe thing. It's a world thing. And that system 
is a system that refers to a system that is self-centered, has no value of God, and the goal of that system is self-glory, self-fulfillment, self-indulgence, self-satisfaction, and every other form of self-serving, where you become, you quite literally become the center of the universe. You are the utmost in your affections. And and social media has only exacerbated that, correct? Uh, Instagram is built for you to put your best foot forward so you can look good or sound good. So on Thanksgiving, I, I posted a picture of my family and, and it was me, my wife, and my little baby boy on my shoulders, and we, we said, Happy Thanksgiving, right? It, and, and several of you in the church and friends said, Oh, what a great-looking family and all of that. And, and, and I would just say that that's the picture. No one knows how difficult it was to get the picture, okay? It, it was, that, that was not captured for, for our own goodness sake on camera, right? It was difficult. It was chaotic to get Anyone other than my wife and I to look forward shouldn't be so hard, but it is. And that's what social media does. It, 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 presents, it presents to us something that just simply isn't true. So, so like Instagram is like really the epitome of, it, it's the poster child of what it looks like to just know or fall in love with the world's ways. Look good. It's all about you. Get attention. Get, get the double tap, right? Put, put, put everything out there that looks well. I've even heard people say, that by spending more time on social media, and this is statistically true as well among psychologists and secular analysts, that, that you actually become more depressed the more you're on social media because you start to compare your life to others and you think to yourself, my life doesn't look this good. And the reality is no one's life looks that good, okay? Nobody's life looks that good. And, and, and why, why that's important in, the, in regards to the system of the world is James now takes this theme, which he took from chapter 1, if you remember, James chapter 1 says this, religion or relationship with God that's pure and undefiled before God, the Father is this, visit orphans and widows in their affliction and keep oneself unstained from the world. So he mentions the world in chapter 1. In chapter 3, we saw that there's a wisdom from below that's worldly. And now he adds to chapter 4, he says, listen, you, you can't be friends with the world in the system of the world. James now is, is drawing a line. He's saying, he's saying you cannot be friends with Christ and be friends with Jesus. In fact, Sermon of the Mount, remember? James is continually pulling us back to Sermon of the Mount. Sermon of the Mount, uh, John chapter, I'm sorry, Matthew uh, chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Remember the verse? For either you will hate the one or love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one, and you'll despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So in the money side, is, it's again, it's the system of the world. If you have more money, this is going to equal more happiness. If you have more things, it's going to equal more happiness. If you have a bigger house, it's going to equal more happiness. All of this is the system of the world. It's the lies that the world shares. You're going to have a more joy-filled life if you have more of something. Right? Several of you know snow's coming. We need more snow to be happy. We need more skis to be happy. We need more snowmobiles to be happy. We need more mountains to climb. It's always more, right? And, and the, the reality of this here now is, is that then uh, James says that, hey, you can't do this. And part of the reason he mentions is verse 5. For Jesus himself, he says, God himself yearns jealously for you. 
for the God within you. This is an interesting verse. At first, if you don't know the context of jealousy, you read that and go, well, jealousy is not a good thing. I can't love a God who's jealous or envious. That's not what it means. What it means is that when you become a Christian, it, what, what literally happens is you become married to God. That, that's kind of the language the scripture uses. He becomes the groom, you become the bride, you become united in one flesh, and then for you to run away or run to the world as a friend, the Bible says, is adulterous. That's what it says in James. You adulterous people, you promise breakers. That's what adultery means. You're a promise breaker. Has anyone ever uh, told God this? God, if you get me out of this situation, I'll never do it again. Anybody? Or anyone say, God, if you do this, I promise I'll do this. As if he's some kind of guy you can barter with, right? Like he's the thrift store clerk. Hey, listen, man, I'll give you two bucks for this. No, it's three, 250. No, he's not that, right? And so, so the Bible actually says to be friends with the world is to commit adultery against God. There's a great picture of this in the Old Testament. Uh, most of you remember, see, I, man, that Dayquil does stuff to your heart rate. Um, <laughs> there's the story where Moses, right? The, God has been gracious. He, he takes his people who were enslaved and in bondage, and he, he gets them out of Pharaoh's grips. He gets them out of slavery. And they're traveling, and they go through the Red Sea. The Red, Red Sea is split in half, and, and God delivers them. And then at a point in the story, God calls uh, Moses to climb up to the top of Mount Sinai. And while he's at the top of Mount Sinai, the people are down below camping. And so Moses is going up to the top of the mountain to hear from God. And God shows up in this burning bush that's not actually being consumed by the flame. God speaks to him, gives them the Ten Commandments, that the people would actually know the grace of God. And, and all the while, Moses is taking too darn long. He's up there talking to God. The people start to think, well, well wait a minute. Moses, maybe he bailed. Moses is gone, he took off, or maybe worse, Moses is dead, and, and we, can't, we can't be without a God, we can't be without a leader, and so Aaron says, listen guys, I got a great idea, this is a terrific idea, I want, I want all of your gold, everyone give me your gold, and I'm going to melt it down, and I'm going to fashion for us something we can worship, something worthy of worship, and so, so he, he takes all of this, this gold, and he melts it up, and he makes a calf, an amazing beautiful, golden baby cow. Isn't that weird? It's weird. And they, they start to worship it. And they turn to it. All the while, Moses is actually receiving not just the law of God, Moses is receiving the doorway to the grace of God. And the reason I say that is because he's getting the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments weren't just going to be for the people to follow, though that is for us now. We have the Ten Commandments because God says, listen, if you follow these Ten Commandments, it's not going to get you to heaven, but life will be really beautiful. Life will be really freeing. If everyone could just, go, just, if everyone could just follow these Ten Commandments, it'd be beautiful. Then the Pharisees come along, and like ten's not enough, so they make 600 and something of them. Then Jesus comes and says, 600's too many, ten's too many, I'll make it easy. Love God, love others. And that, the Ten Commandments are broken up in those two areas. Love God, love other people. That's it. And if you do that, life will be great. But you can't. That's the wonderful news. You and I have no ability to perfectly love people and to perfectly love God. That's good news. The good news is that we can't do it. And the good news is, is Jesus does it. He did do it. 
And so that, that's why the Ten Commandments are the doorway, because we recognize the Ten Commandments are given, so we recognize, wait a minute, I can't do this. It's finally the point when you read the Ten Commandments or you get to the two commandments that Jesus shares, love God, love others, I can't do it. How am I going to get to heaven? I can't, even, I can't even follow two rules. And some of you are frustrated with your kids. You can't even do those. And so, and so we get to the point, I can't do it, I can't do it. And this is what the Bible says that, that the commandments were given so that we could see that we have sin, so we'd have need. So Moses is up there so that the people can finally see that they can't get to God. It's grace. And so they reckon, he's coming down to give them grace, to give them the doorway that's going to eventually set all of us up to receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. It's a beautiful thing. And they're worshiping a calf. They're, they're befriending themselves with the world. See, to befriend yourself with the world, as one quote says, friendship with the world means you've decided then to remove friendship with Jesus because you can't have both. You're saying essentially to the world, shape me, mold me, lead me away from the Lord. This is what you're saying. And you give, you give it that friendship. You give that friendship to the enemies of God and you say to those enemies of God, you shape me, you mold me because there's a treasure I want that's better than this treasure. This is a horrific assault on the mercy and the beauty of God, and we're all guilty. All of us have done this. And here's the thing you're saying to yourself right now. You're saying, wait a minute, I've not befriended myself with the world. I've not worshipped a golden calf. I don't have a golden calf at home. I don't sing to it. Right? And if you are doing that this morning, that's really weird. (laughs) So there's a way that it translates over. And the translation is, it's again, it's this friendship, and it's, it's the word worship. And the reason this is important is because somehow in the Christian culture of America, we've defined worship as singing. And that's not the biblical definition of worship. The biblical definition of worship is not singing. Singing is a part of worship. What worship is, is it's giving your attention, it's giving your adoration, it's giving your affection to something. Or another way to translate it is it's giving yourself to something to heal you or to fix you that is anything other than God. What do I mean by that? Well, there's a gal I remember in youth group. She told me, anytime I get depressed, I go buy a pair of shoes. Now, that maybe seems silly, but you'll find yourself in these situations where, where all, of a sudden, all of a sudden you're wrestling or you're struggling with something. And, and, and for some of us, for me, I've, I'm guilty of this, man. I, I, I'll open up the Amazon app and just see what's for sale. Right? And, and then as I'm looking, I'm like, well, maybe I'll buy that. But I can't because I can't afford it because I got four kids. But it's just the dream. It's the idea. It's, it's capturing my imagination, right? And, and the thing is, the thing that Satan does that the enemy does is he doesn't take for you a bad thing and say, worship the bad thing. He doesn't do that. What Satan, Satan has no ability to create. Only God has the ability to create. So what Satan does is he takes good things and he turns them into God things, then they become bad things, right? There is absolutely nothing wrong Some of you might disagree with me this morning. I know this is trucky, and we're all, like, super healthy. There is nothing wrong with eating a good Krispy Kreme donut. There isn't. And some of you are like, amen, brother, and others are like, ew, Krispy Kreme. Someone someone in the first service said, it doesn't translate as well. It's got to be the bakery down down by Tacos Alisco, right? There's nothing wrong with going down to the bakery and, and getting a good eclair. I like eclairs. I, I really like a Reese's peanut butter cup. Some about the combination of chocolate and peanut butter. Nothing wrong with it. The problem, the problem is when you go, you know what? 
I like Krispy Kreme donuts, so I'm going to eat 18 of them. It was right. That's a problem. That's a problem. And, and the, pic, the, the picture I used, the illustration I used in the first service is we've, we've done this silly, weird thing in church, in the Christian culture, where we take, we take donuts and we're like, dude, it's okay if you eat donuts, but, but if, you, if you have a beer, if you have a beer, well, that's wrong. If, if someone walks into your community group, your Bible study, with a dozen Krispy Kreme donuts and eats six of them, you might go, wow, man, you really like Krispy Kreme donuts, and then you walk away and it's no big deal. They walk in with a beer and they're just sipping on it the whole time, like, whoa, you can't bring that beer in here. That's got alcohol in it. Now, I'm not here to tell you that the alcohol is wrong, and I'm not here to tell you that the donuts are wrong. Why are you doing it? Now we have to get to the hard issue. Why are you drinking the alcohol? Why are you eating 18 Krispy Kreme donuts? Because that's your cow. That's your idol. That's the thing you run to. Man, it's too hard to be in a relationship. It's too hard to deal with my sin. It's too hard to actually admit that I'm depressed and now I want to get to a place of joy. It's too hard. It's all too hard. So I'm going to numb myself with sugar. I'm going to numb myself with entertainment. I'm going to numb myself with alcohol. That's the issue. We live in a culture now where, where whether you like it or not, marijuana is legal in California. And so now we've got this issue within the church. Well, can you smoke it? I go, man, I don't know. What I do know is this. I'm going to ask you the question, if you smoke it, why do you smoke it? Because if it's somehow, if it's for a medical condition, we probably admit there's a reason for it. Can we, can, we, can we just back up for just one moment? Did you know that Satan didn't make the marijuana plant? Are we, I just want to make sure we're all like at square one. You know, he didn't make, you know Satan didn't make it, right? God made the plant. Which leads me to believe that there are good uses for the plant because God does not create anything that's bad. So it's not, the, the issue isn't the plant. The issue is taking the plant and turning it into a God and turning it into an idol. There's a pastor right now making a really big deal and he's saying, listen, listen, you need to come to our church. Here's how you're going to do it. You can come to our church on your phone. Come to my church in the palm of your hand and you can live stream it and you can, you can watch it and you can come to church at our church and one of the pastors I follow said, said this. He said, the phone is not the church. It's an idol. You can't, replace, you can't replace the church with your phone because your phone is an idol. And, and it, church is defined as a community of people gathered together under the goodness of God, all recognizing in the same room together that we are in need of Jesus. Okay, so, so we can't say, listen, this is all of this is to be friendship with the world. And he's saying to us, he's saying, this breaks God's heart. You're like cheating on him. Have you ever read the book of Hosea? God calls an amazing prophet man and says, listen, man, I want you to do something that the modern day church is going to abhor. What do you want me to do? God will do it. I want you to go find a prostitute and I want you to marry her. Imagine sitting in on that pastoral uh, premarital counseling appointment. I'm not sure this is a good idea. <laughs> I would advise against this strongly. Right? And yet God says, go do it. And he, because he's a good prophet and he loves God, he does it. And he marries this woman. He, he pulls her out of the sex trafficking industry. Her response is the same response that most of us have as sinners back to our sin. She runs away from Hosea. And she finds herself hooking up with other Johns. And by the text, if you read it closely, it appears she has children outside of wedlock to other men. 
Hosea's response, because of God's commandment, go back to her, free her, marry her, love her, show grace to her. And he does. And by all accounts, it seems that maybe they had a happy marriage afterwards. We're not necessarily told. But God then shares with him why. The reason I told you to do this is because this is my people. This is what my people do. My people are like prostitutes. They run out and they give themselves, they give their energy to all kinds of things and all kinds of stuff and all kinds of entertainment. And it's like cheating on me. It breaks my heart. He's saying, I'm jealous for you. Why? Because when you run to those things, it actually kills you and makes you less human. When you run to Jesus, it heals you and it makes you who you were always created to be. Right? So running away, away from the false gods and, bef- and, not, and defriending the world, right? To use the Facebook terminology, like defriend the world. Don't stop being friends of sinners. Don't, don't stop that. Don't ever stop being friends of sinners. In fact, I would tell you that, 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 that some of us probably need to loosen up a little bit about how we even hang out with sinners. And there are some stu- there's some stuff happening in this church that I can't even share with you from the pulpit because, because it, 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 would be, it wouldn't be good for that, for that person or those people's privacy. But there are some people who are starting to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ in this church that if I told you their story and their background, you would be amazed. You'd be like, what? That's happening? Yes. Why? Because God's in the business, whether you believe it or not, and taking sinners and bringing them into a right relationship with Jesus Christ. And what James is teaching us and what the, the commandments teach us is that this is all progress, man. This is just, you're, you're learning and you're growing and you're not gonna automatically just give everything up right away. Right, some of you walk in the room, you're like, man, dude, I feel so convicted. I'm eating 18 donuts every day. And I don't know how to stop. I don't know how to stop, but I love God. I love him, but I don't know how to stop. Well, well God's gonna come and say, listen, This is a progress. You're on a journey. You may not be able to give up 18 donuts today. Let's cut back down to 15. And just so you know, donuts is a metaphor for whatever else that you're struggling with. It's not literally, it's not literally Krispy Kreme. Okay? I'm trusting the Holy Spirit to share with you what that thing is. Whatever that thing is. You're on a journey. And the reason this is important is because James, James is teaching us about progress, progressing in our faith, growing in our faith, maturing in our faith. And the reality is, is pastoring a church like this, it's very diverse. There are people who've been saved for a very long time. There are people who aren't saved in the room right now. And there are people who are new Christians. I, I believe there are people in the room, at least in the first service, I know for sure, that may have been born again and they don't even know it yet. And if you don't understand how that can happen, we can, we can talk something's coming alive they're being awakened they don't even know it of one particular person a friend said said this people are starting to notice they're acting differently and they're freaking out a little bit those are friends of a sinner something's changing in this person's life so he yearns jealously for us and he he desires us to to understand that we we should not ever cheat on god because because satan is going to take that good stuff Whatever that good thing is, and he's going to turn it into an ultimate thing, and it's going to ruin you. Someone mentioned to me in the first service, I didn't, even, I didn't even have to say it. They just said, man, you know what that issue is here in Tahoe? Give me another pow day, bro. We need more snow so I can get out there. There, there are people in our community, their, their happiness is attached to snowmobiling, to skiing, and snowboarding. Is it not? And their identity is attached to it. Not only is it something they worship, they've identified themselves as that kind of person. And so what happens is 
What happens is eventually it's going to be taken away. Eventually it's gone. And then what are you left with? Is there anything wrong with an awesome pow day? No, man, to the glory of God. But the moment it somehow replaces Christ, you've befriended the system of the world. And James says, he says, because of this, this causes quarrels and fights among you. The self-centeredness to spend on your passions. He says, you ask, well, he says, you don't have, which is passion. I got to have it. Give it to me. This is, again, this is false idol type worship. I want it. Give it to me. I deserve it. I deserve more. Give me more. And then he says, when you do ask, when you finally do have the courage to ask, you don't actually receive it because if you do receive it, you're going to spend it on yourself, which again is self-centered and worldly. Why do we have anything? Why do we possess anything? It's not just because God gave it to us. It's so that we can share it with others. Life is simply not worth living if it's all for you. Why do you have a home? To invite people in. Did you know that? Why is it that you can shop at Costco? So you can cook for more people than yourself because there's obviously more food than just for you. Unless you're my family, in that case, that's not true. But point being is you have plenty. One of the things I love about my family, every holiday, there is some person I don't know in the house. Because my grandparents, my mom, and other people are just, oh, you don't have anywhere to go? Come eat with us. And in my mind, I'm thinking, that is so mean of you and so nice of you at the same time. I say that it's nice because you're feeding them. It's mean because hanging out with my family on a holiday is crazy in all the good ways. You guys are like wondering if I'm bagging on my family. I'm not. I love my family, but we're weird. And some of us are like, man, I don't know if I want to invite people into my home because of what they will experience. No, the idea is share. Why, why do you have a vehicle? So you can help transport people, not just yourself. So life becomes this, this quarreling and fighting amongst us, a depressive kind of life, when everything is just revolved around you. It's really interesting. The Bible basically essentially is teaching you're going to be happy by living for others. Uh, and th- this, is, this is so played out so well for all of you who are parents and have children. You know this to be true. It is the easiest, most beautiful, and hardest thing ever. About 3 a.m., I could hear my door open. The light shines in. There's a hall light on, which I don't like. My wife hates it. And I'm like, oh, man, here she comes. It's my four-year-old little daughter. Normally, they don't shut the door. She walked halfway to the bed. I kid you not, walked halfway to the bed, realized the hall light was on. Her pitter-patter back to the door. And then she shut the door, and I thought, oh, praise Jesus. She shut the door. And then I knew she's coming, so I had to scoot over. There was already a child in the bed, so there wasn't that much room. So I scoot over a little more and so she can curl into my arm. And she rolls up into my arm, her little teeny little head, her little teeny warm body, all up next to my big, burly, you know, grotesque male body. It'd be, it, it, because it is, man, there's nothing attractive about a male body. It's just, and she's, she's don't hold me accountable for that statement. And she's with me. And I say that because there's a contrast. There's a contrast between, between me as a father who's lived life and is rough and tough around the edges and just this gentle, beautiful, glorious, pure thing that, that expresses future and hope, right? You with me? Again, a metaphor. And, and that, man, that's beautiful. 
And then another kid walked in, and I didn't sleep so well, and so this is what you're getting this morning. But, but at the same time, as easy and as beautiful and as loving as that is, there, there was earlier that day where she was whining and complaining. And it was difficult. And so the reality is, is, is that, that life it can be hard when you have to live it in community. It's hard when you have to live it for other people. It does make it more difficult, but it makes it more worth it. And it gives more joy. Right? The, 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 gospel, the gospel takes your eyes off of yourself, off of your sin, off of all the lies the devil is teaching you and preaching at you, and it puts your eyes right back onto Jesus Christ, and then Jesus tells you, love other people, love other people, and now all of a sudden, you're, you don't have time to be depressed, you don't have time to be angry, because you're not even thinking about you. You get lost in the beauty of relationship. And so there's three things in here that I want you to see that are pitfalls. Uncontrolled desire, unfulfilled desire, and selfish desire. Uncontrolled passion, this is I'm taking the good thing and making an ultimate thing. Unfulfilled desire, you're frustrated you don't have something that you think you believe that you should have. And selfish desire, you're spending it all on yourselves. Now in the middle of all of this, James is sharing, listen, you're an adulterous people. You you have cheated on God when you've made yourself a friend of the world. And then James gives us this beautiful response the only kind of response that God can give. And it's in verse 6. What's it say? But he gives more what? Grace. Everyone say, whoa. His response, his response is to be gracious to you. As the Bible says, it's his loving kindness that leads to repentance. Boy, the church should make that a mantra. It's loving kindness. It's, as we shared last week, it's gentleness. It's graciousness that leads people to Jesus Christ. You know when you're sharing your faith with a non-Christian, you're trying to win a person, not an argument. So of this person that I can't name names, they said they, said, they, they want to give their life to Jesus, but they're worried, they're worried that they may, have to, they may have to quit the job that they're in if they're going to follow Jesus. And I said, I said to them, don't even worry about that. Let's not, let's not build boundaries where God doesn't build boundaries. Let's, let's just deal with it. Let's just deal with Jesus. Do you want to be with Jesus? Do you want to follow Jesus? Do you want to know him? And if you do, then you'll give your life to him. And then inevitably, he's going to then, he's going to then call you out of more things. Here's this great quote from a pastor who pastors a large church in, in America. He says this, as a pastor of a church, I get the opportunity to sit with all of those people week after week who sit in our services. Some of them say they're kind of moved and they want to trust the Lord, but they're fearful about it. They say, if I trust the Lord, if I fully surrender, if I make Christ the Lord of my life, what's he going to do here in my life? What's he going to do in this area? Will he take this from me? Will I have to give it up? What's ironic to me, and I try to point this out in these conversations, is there's all this fear and trepidation over here But the idea of losing it, whatever that is, causes fear and trepidation too. But the play is this. I feel like I'm going to have these things taken from me. Oh, you mean the things that are causing all sorts of stress and anxiety in your life? Yeah. But it's like stress and anxiety and fear become the very things that comfort us. They become the pacifier that's driving out our teeth in the hopes of comfort rather than legitimate comfort of letting go 
of getting off the throne of our own hearts. And like I had preached at Easter, I make a really crummy king. I'm exhausted of trying to be king. I stink at it. I'm giving it my best, and I'm not doing a good job. Will you, Jesus, will you sit up here in my heart? Then, getting to the rest as Jesus goes, sure, that's my seat. And he sits down and he rules in a way that's better than we can imagine. I'm not saying that Jesus won't take things from you because a loving fathers will take. It's cruel fathers who refuse to. Cruel fathers will allow their children to grow crooked. Loving fathers won't. If he takes, he takes as a loving father, not as a cruel one. You understand what he's saying? He's saying, listen, Jesus is way more gracious than you could ever think or imagine. And I would teach, as an addition to that, you should be more gracious than you could ever think or imagine. You should be more gracious in your marriage than you could ever comprehend. You should be more gracious with your kids than you could ever think or imagine. Loving kindness leads to repentance. It's not about your rules. It's about the love that you show. And then James says, okay, with this reality, understanding that he is gracious, don't take advantage of the grace, respond to the grace. And he tells us how to respond. And the first response is, he says, submit yourselves, verse 7, submit. Now, what a popular word. We love that word, submit. But the definition of submit literally means let go. As the quote just stated, what, the, 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 that we hold on to things because we think somehow holding on to this thing is going to make us happy. And if I let it go, if I let it go, it's going to somehow ruin my life. And we have this anxiety about letting it go, but we know it's not healthy. So here's the question. Here's the takeaway as we get ready to close, okay? As we get ready to close, I want you to ask yourself the question, what is it that Jesus is asking you to let go of? For your joy. What is it that's causing you think it's good? Because God doesn't create bad things. But it's become an ultimate thing. It's, it's been a relationship or it's been an entertainment device or, or it's been, it, it can even be for me, like for me, it, it, this isn't true for me, but it could be very easily. Exercising. You know, exercising is really, really good. But it can become a God thing if you are running to exercise to, to relieve a pain or something in your life because, because you just can't deal with it unless you, I gotta have, I gotta have, man, I gotta go work out. I'm jonesing to work out. I'm jonesing to go on the ski hill. What is it that God's asking you to let go of? And here's the thing, it could be anything. It could even be a good thing. James taught this earlier. For him to know uh, what to do and not do it, for him it's sin. So now you have to be in this relationship where, where it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, you know what? God, do you want me to give up 18 donuts? He does, by the way. He does. It could be a diet. It could be a habit. It could be anything. The first step is submission. The second step is resistance. This is in verse 7 as well. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. So God's gracious to my, my whoredom, if you will, so I, I submit to him, and I, I resist him. I draw near to him, it says. I run to God. I run to Jesus, and I do this through his word, and I do it through prayer. Francis Chan has this wonderful quote I came across this week. He says, there is no substitute for being alone with God. If you don't have time, you need to quit something to make room. Skip a meal. And all the Americans said, what? What? Can't do that. Cancel a meeting, end a regular commitment. There is literally nothing more important you could do today. I mean, he has a point, does he not? Well, what would be wrong if you said, you know what, I'm not going to eat lunch today. 
You'll live, I promise you, you will live. I will definitely live. It's okay to skip a meal. In fact, the Bible calls it fasting. <laughs> oh, it's funny. To take time away from food, from substance to say, to say, you know what, you know what I really feed upon? Jesus, the bread of life. Jesus came not to give you bread. He came to be bread, to give you himself that you would consume upon him, you would live upon him, that you would overcome your sin, which is the other part of the takeaway here from verses 8 and 9 as well as verse 11. You, this weird portion is mourn and weep. Very, very popular things to preach in our day and age. Mourn and weep, he says in these verses. The reason he's saying that is because this is language that the Bible uses for repentance. Don't take joy in your sin. Mourn over your sin and run from your sin. And as you mourn over your sin, the end game is never to sit and mourn and just sit there in your sadness. That is never the biblical point. That's never what God's trying to do. He's not trying to say, listen, you need to be sad. You need to be beat up. You need to feel like garbage all the time. You need to focus on your depravity and your sin. You're horrible. You're horrible. You're horrible. You need Jesus. That's not the point. That is part of the point. The other part of the point is to then turn from that and find joy in something else. It's what the Bible calls put away or put off and put on. And sometimes we spend so much time with, the, with putting off. I got to get rid of the sin. I got to get rid of the sin. I got to get rid of the sin. And we forget, you got to put on Jesus. And you should be actually spending more time putting on Jesus, running to Jesus, talking to Jesus. You, my friends, have more, more ability than any other generation before it to dive into the goodness of Jesus Christ. But never make sermons an idol either. Did you know you can do that? I know people have done that. Man, I just listen to sermons all day long. Is that like really healthy? Yeah, man, it's, it's God's word. Will you do anything with it? No, I'm just listening right now. Okay, there's your problem. Listen to one and then see if you can practice it. Are you with me? So, so that, that's the takeaway. And then here, here's my kind of closing point. You've got to be in community to make this work. You've you got to be part of a local congregation. You, can't, you cannot pay, partake in church on a phone, on a computer, on a tablet. People listen to our messages all the time, and, and I, I am so thankful for that. I hear that more times than I could ever think or imagine. Man, I've been listening to your messages online. Oh, I listen to your messages online. Man, that's awesome. It, it's only really awesome if you're not able to make it on a Sunday. And, and someone, someone actually left the first service. They were a little frustrated. They said, how can you say that, because I made this statement. I said, you can't be a Christian and not go to church. And someone corrected me on that. You can be a Christian and go to church, but you can't be an obedient Christian. And the reason is because all of the love one another, remember the two commandments, love God and love others. You can't do that if you're not a church. Because it's not just speaking about sinners. You can do part of it. You can love other people who are sinners, but you are called to forgive one another, encourage one another, all of those things. And I remember in San Diego, it's different here in, in Tahoe, but in San Diego, man, it was like, man, I don't go to church. Why don't you go to church? Because the ocean's my church, man. Like the waves and, and man, like I'm out there in God's glory. It's the same thing on the mountain. Like, hey, where do you go to church? Man, the snow, man. It's the church. The trees are my God. Now, we laugh and I joke, but the reality is, for many people in our community, that those are words they would use. Nature is my God. 
at least they've got one thing right. You aren't worship neutral. Everybody worships something. Nobody is neutral in this. So I don't, I don't worship anything. I don't, yes, you do. You give your life to something. Your end game, your goal. Giving it to Jesus makes you more human. Giving it to anything else makes you less human. And, and so as we, we recognize, we close here, here, here's what I'm encouraging. What I'm encouraging is, is run away from anything that just has anything to do with friendship with the world and run to being friends with Jesus. Say, say no to friendship with the world and yes to the friendship with Jesus. And understand that that's going to take small steps for some of you. Some of you are like, man, I come to church. I come to church once a month. Okay, let's start making it twice a month. I'm okay with that. Eventually, though, some of you, and some of you have been here long enough, you come to church every week, you're not serving yet. Guess what Jesus would call you to do? The part of the Bible says serve one another. To get involved, to help, to make church not about you. Right? It, when this thing gets really, really beautiful, when church gets really, really fun, is when you're not just coming in and consuming the message and leaving, but you're actually participating in the family. You know what I'm saying? Some of you who are doing it, you're like, oh, man, yeah, get them, get them. And others of you are like, I don't know, man, this seat's kind of comfortable. Last quote, John MacArthur said, he has called us toward one another. And some of God's choicest blessings happen when we get around those who love him and walk alongside of them as we all seek to love him more. Community is an indispensable part of our Christian maturation. You cannot grow alone. You will not get more of Christ by yourself. It just won't happen. And so James is calling us. This is good news, man. This, This is beautiful stuff. James is calling us into the arms of Jesus Christ and into a community of sinners who who will hurt you and they will mess up just like my little kids do but there is nothing there is nothing at the end of the day that brings me more joy than being in that relationship that I have with my children it's worth it and then I get to do it with the church as a whole I got a bunch of kids and I'm a kid myself that's how God sees us we're just a big playground of snotty-nosed kids who are just trying to figure this thing out no one's got it together there are no adults here in the room do you know what I'm saying? No one's got it together. And so we get, to, we get to enjoy life. Thanksgiving is part of that. Christmas is part of that. Enjoy life to the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink, do it to the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord, we ask as we sing that you would drive these things home for us. Help us to walk with you, to worship you, to know you, to love you. Doing a work in us, Lord, that uh, can only be accredited to you. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.